Hello, everyone. Welcome to Seek Go Create. This is your host, Tim Winters. I'm in a strange location today. I'm not in the passenger seat of the RV. I'm actually visiting. We're helping out some family in the Atlanta area. And so I'm in a little strange surroundings, trying to get used to it. I'm hopeful that everything sounds okay and looks okay. And I could tell you that I look the same. I can guarantee that. This is this is where we thanks for joining us. This is where we redefine success in leadership business and in ministry. And today I'm excited about our guest because we're going to hit on all of those. And uh, I, it's kind of interesting at the age that I'm at now, I use the term young and, and sometimes old and sometimes those are appropriate. I'm, I'm speaking with what I consider a young leader in business today that has a strong faith and has a background as a college football player and big time college football and we're going to have a great conversation. Before we get to that, a few things I want to remind you of here at Seek Go Create. We are coming up on, in fact, I think depending on when this drops, it could be the next episode if you're listening to this when it comes out, our 200th episode at Seek Go Create. And we're going to be doing wow. some cool things. We're going to be making some adjustments to some formatting. We're going to be adding some more topical conversations, still doing all the great interviews and all that we do. But uh, you're going to want to listen in on that 200th episode, so make sure you're following, subscribed, whatever it is on your platform, so that you can listen in on all that's happening. And here's the cool thing that's going to happen on the 200th episode. My wife, Glory, is going to interview me, and I typically do not get nervous about these things. But with a microphone going, I'm not exactly sure what she's going to ask me. So make sure you listen in or go check out our 200th episode that's coming up. Today, we've got Alex Caesar. He's the CEO of Alex Caesar Ventures, former football team captain of a big time school. We'll talk about that. And magna cum laude engineering graduate from Texas A&M University. I like the engineering thing. I'm the same. He's taken his leadership skills and combined it with his faith to revolutionize businesses, helping them become passionate, profitable, and purpose-driven through cultural transformation rooted in biblical principles. That's a mouthful there. We're going we're gonna to look at that. <laughs> Alex, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Congratulations on 200, and I am excited to be here, excited to have this conversation um, 200 is not easy in the podcasting world. 200 is not easy in any world, but 200 episodes, man, congratulations. And, um, you're doing kingdom work, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I believe I'll check my notes here. I believe that you're coming in at about 199. I think, unless there's something that shuffles around with our operations nice. team. So, <laughs> so you're coming in right before we hit that 200 and yeah, we're excited about it. It's a big milestone and, and we've been excited about the things we're doing. So thanks for uh, thanks for acknowledging that. Hey, Alex, let's before we uh, dive into a boatload of questions I've got for you, let's uh, let's not really pretend. Let's just say we just met. Yeah. I've actually been able to read through your stuff and all that, but <laughs> we're on a plane or somewhere, and I say, Alex, what do you do? What do you tell people? Yeah, I help workplace leaders create the cultures that we all crave for. Um, and in addition to that, I inspire students and teachers to live out their wildest dreams. So on the corporate side, I'm, I'm focused on organizational culture. And then on the school side, on the sports team side, I'm you know doing keynotes and uh, inspiring those teachers about the, the impact and importance of education. 
and then for the students and the athletes as well to help them accomplish the things that they want to in life. Um, so, and then the ministry, it's all of that. Um, so yeah, that's what I do. Nice. Very good. So, so here's one thing that's interesting and I get similar questions to when someone has the word engineering attached to their <laughs> title or whatever, and then they say that they, you know, work with leadership culture keynotes, they do speaking and all that. That's not typically an engineering characteristic or how'd that come to be? I mean, are you, is that an anomaly or, or what's up with that? Yeah. So ironically, I was doing some of those things before uh, college and before engineering, uh, got involved in ministry at an early age, uh, began speaking at churches at the age of 16, teaching Sunday school at 13 <laughs> to the smaller kids. Um, and then speaking at school since the age of 16 as well. So that actually started before engineering. Um, and then engineering became a thing in college. And my path has been not <laughs> linear and traditional at all when it comes to what you would expect, what we, what you would expect from an engineering graduate. Um, I came out, kind of took the, the, the path of consulting and did some work in the energy sector. And not too long after that, I was in real estate. So I had, <laughs> if you look at my background, I've kind of been a lot of places in a short amount of time. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how that came to be. I was a speaker before an engineer and obviously a football player before an engineer. And then afterwards, um, I've just kind of been obedient to wherever God chose to send me. Uh, one of my kind of slogans is I say to I marry the mission and date the methods. So whenever God wants to shift me in life, I'm okay with that as long as I'm fulfilling his mission in my life. Right. That's good. Uh, the, the reason I bring it up is uh, I'll, I'll even, I'm going to pose it as a question. D do you feel as if the engineering curriculum, the role, the title was it a good fit for you or was it stretching you outside of probably what you were created to do? Yes. Yeah, so for me, the engineering program I was in was partially business, partially engineering. It was mm. kind of like a hybrid program, but it was mm. in the engineering college. So mm. I was exposed to what I enjoy, which is the people side of things. I am not, when you think of kind of typical engineer, my brain works in an engineering way, very mm. strategic, very methodical, very let's take this big problem and, and reduce it down to steps mm -hmm. um but i am not the guy who wants to sit and play with the robot i am the guy who wants to be customer facing customer centric um so in that portion of it i i did not enjoy the classes that were primarily lab based and only just kind of let's program this machine let's figure out how this widget works that's not my thing i will i'm not the guy who wants to sit there and read the instructions <laughs> I'm just like, let's go build it. Let's, let's figure it out. And, you know, we're building a baby crib and it ends up looking like a, a jungle gym, but I'm just a guy, like, I, I like to jump in, figure it out, work with a team of people, uh, get the best out of the people around me. I'm, I'm a relationship guy. So in that mm. way, engineering did not fit with my personality. Yeah. I think I was similar when I went to Georgia tech and I'm a industrial and systems engineer. I started in the electrical field and it was much too technical for what I was able to do. I thought I was okay in math, science, the stuff like that, that were needed. I found out that I was uh, more leaning towards the communicative, you know, the speaking and, 
And yep. similar to you, you know, I'd, I'd done quite a bit of speaking growing up and at a young age. And, uh, and so I thought engineering was what I wanted to do, but I only did engineering for about six months after I finished college also, <laughs> and then started moving into, you know, leadership development, consulting, coaching, training, all that kind of stuff. So uh, the, the reason I think that's cool to ask that is a lot of people are attempting to find out what they were put on this earth to do. Absolutely. And you said you've worked with young kids, you've gone through the, you know, the collegiate realm and things like that. Um, have you figured that out? You know what? I think that I have. Um, you think so? <laughs> and, and I always, you know, we're all trying to figure out what we want to be when we grow up. But for me, it's, it's more about um, what I'm trying to accomplish. And people always, you know, the, the famous question, what do you do? Um, I'm very sure in who I am. Sometimes the things that you do in life will shift and change. So as long as I know who I am, I'm willing to go where God, you know, see, go create. I'm willing to go where God wants me to go, even if it's outside of my, my comfort zone. So for me, that's kind of always been the main thing is like, let's keep the main thing, the main thing mm -hmm. and the way in which we accomplish and achieve those things. I'm okay with those things shifting and changing. Now, why I think I I'm kind of in my sweet spot now. Um, one, I feel like this is exactly where God called me to be in this season of my life. Mm -hmm. So I received that call, but two, what I'm doing right now was shown to me as a toddler through a, via a dream. And it's the only thing I can remember kind of three, two, three years old. Um, and I didn't know exactly what it meant at the time. And now, whenever I'm on the stage, now, whenever I'm coaching and training and teaching, that dream comes back to me. Um, so that's why I would say, absolutely. I'm in my thing. Um, and it took me some steps to get here and God used every single step for where I am right now. He didn't waste a single step. You know, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So that lets me know that I'm not just uh, aimlessly wandering around. Like there is a strategic, God is an engineer when it comes to how he plans and orchestrates things. So uh, whether it be collegiate athletics or the work experience I had, you know, being a young president of multiple companies in my early twenties, all of those things were strategic. And they were platforms that God allowed me to use that now usher me into rooms that if I maybe didn't have that resume, I wouldn't be allowed in those rooms. And then at that point, now I'm in the room. Now you have a, a, a level of respect in those rooms. Now the gospel gets to come out. So I'm just surrendering my platforms to him. And he's taking me places that now I can look back and go, wow, that was that was really strategic. Um, so yeah, that's my long answer to your short question. Yeah, that's good. Well, the good, the, the reason I love the words you're using strategic, if, if I, I don't know if you've ever done strength finders, but on strength finders, strategic is my number one. It's my wife's number one, uh, strength that we have. So strategic is important, but it also, uh, at times doesn't allow the Lord and the Holy Spirit to enter in. Sometimes we could get so dang strategic. Yeah. We got our strategy going, but we don't yield. I just finished reading Exodus. I'm doing my read through the Bible that I do. So I'm, I'll, I, I, I look at Moses and I'm sitting here thinking what, you know, I, if I'm interviewing Moses, go and say, all right, Moses, you know, you're pretty successful as a young guy. 
you know, you obviously go through some issues, have some anger issues that you're dealing with, and then you go to the desert for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And then you <laughs> come out of the desert to, you know, take take your, your people, take, take God's people, lead them it, back into the desert for 40 years. How's that working out? Did you see your life, you know, going in a different direction? What was your vision goal? And uh, I look forward to speaking to Moses at some point and saying, Moses, did, yeah. did you think you were fulfilling your purpose or anything during that time? <laughs> so um, anyway, I, I think that's a, a fascinating thing. One thing that I definitely want to do, and again, we're our underlying theme here is redefining success. You know, what either externally or internally, you know, doing it intentionally or having an external event that just forces us to rethink. And so I want to I want to hit something early on here that fascinates me. And and I've got probably some unique questions about it that I bet you don't hear from a lot of people. You went to what I would consider to be a pretty big time University, Texas A&M. Tell people that don't know about Texas A&M. Yeah, so Texas A&M is one of the largest colleges in the nation. Um, I think we're on the main campus, 60, 70,000 strong across campuses, over 100,000 students. Um, We are in the SEC, which means a lot in the world of sports. Uh, so we play against week in, week out against the Alabamas and the Ole Misses and the LSUs and the Auburns of the world, uh, the Georgias of the world. Um, so it's a pretty sports-heavy conference. Um, and then the the people that have – I don't know how much you know about a but people who <laughs> have been on the inside, they say that it's – it's Is it a cult? On the, <laughs> you, you see i have the ring on <laughs> you got the ring there's probably yeah. some special handshake there's probably some so, things that you can't tell us <laughs> absolutely so they say from the outside looking looking in i guess it's impossible to understand from the inside looking out it's impossible to explain it's one of those places that like you just have to experience it um, I was blessed to play in front of, hun- of 105 to maybe 110,000 people on even- any given Saturday and to be viewed by millions of people. Uh, and I, backstories, I had zero scholarship offers coming out of high school or going into my senior year. I uh, get offered a full scholarship to play football at Texas A&M at a position I'd never played before to then walk on the field as a true freshman starting at defensive back which means it's me versus another guy and there's a million people watching. So no pressure, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a big time school and a big time conference. Uh, I think we have the most uh, active fortune 500 CEOs as well. So big time business school, great engineering school. Um, it's a special place. It can also be really weird if you, if you're not from here. Well, I, I wanted to dive into the weird because I've, I've long, looked at what we're doing with collegiate athletics and wondered if we're making an idol out of it in some ways. Oh, wow. 
And so you don't I have to wonder. Well, <laughs> I'll answer I, the question. The answer well, is yes. Well, then go there because I, I and 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 I, I get a little cynical about it at times, you know, just because I'm going, what are we doing? And I'm gonna, and I'm going to point blank ask you in a little while. You know, you're 18, 19, playing in front of a hundred thousand. You've got grown men putting you on such a pedestal. Oh, I'm guessing, probably throwing some stuff at you, that's really probably you know, testing your character and things Absolutely. like that. So I'm not saying that I want to uncover all the deep, dark secrets of collegiate athletics here, but I, I want to talk about some of the, uh, the, the challenges of it. Uh, you know, obviously we could talk about the accolades. People see it on TV, they watch it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, but, but how does that layer in to the yes. kingdom of God and, and how does it, conflict and contrast from what uh what god is doing yeah so i'll just start here um two different things come to mind number one is what is an idol uh, anything that takes the place takes the worship of uh takes the admiration of god so we'll start there i'll tell you this you come to a saturday football game at Calfield, you are going to see some of the most intense some of the most passionate worship you've ever seen in your life it is um <laughs> it is a sight to see i'll say that the second thing that comes to mind is i was asked a question my last game last interview as a texas a athlete and the question was alex what now take us through your last game, your last time to wear the maroon, maroon and white, kind of where do you go from here? And here was my answer. And I, I just, I found this clip and, and posted on social media not too long ago because I was just honestly blown away with the answer, having been removed from it now and to hear that interview. But my answer was, thankfully, football is just something I've done for the last so many years. It's not who I am. I think that's the temptation and the danger within the realm of sports and business and other things that may take the place of God is that we tend to want to worship something. I think Timothy Keller talks about that. We will, we will find something to worship and we, we tend to want to worship. So it's like, if you don't know who you are, when you walk into that locker room, they will tell you, they will place an identity on you from the inside and from the outside. And if you're not careful, you will attach your value, your worth, your self-being, your self-worthiness to something that is so fickle, it will break you. We had a quarterback um, at AM a few years back. We beat Alabama at home. And this guy, I mean, he's standing in the pocket, getting hit in the chin. He's taking it like a champion, and we win the game. That guy's no longer here. He was ridiculed. He ended up having to transfer out of the program. He lost his starting spot. So the highs and the lows of people's opinions, it can break you. If you tie who you are and your worthiness to that, like you're always going to be on the roller coaster of, okay, I'm high today, I'm low tomorrow. So for me, I've always just found that it was best to tie my identity to who I am in Christ I actually spoke to a group of students in an FCA group last week, and the message was this. Uh, it was about the temptations that Jesus faced, that we all face, which on the surface, you know, they have the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But deeper in that passage, you see 
that kind of tension of he is announced and affirmed by the father. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right after that, he goes into the wilderness and the devil says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. It's that temptation that if you are, then do prove it. Show me that you're worth something. Show me you are the son of God by doing something. And then after that, he's like, if you are the son of God, um, throw yourself off this pinnacle so that the angels will catch you. What's that temptation? On, on the surface, we have, you know, the pride of life. He would have made a, a scene, but it's also, I am what other people think about me. If you want to be the son of God, if you want to be something in this world, people need to see it. Make a video, go viral, become a spectacle so everyone can say he is somebody. And lastly, he, he says, if you bow down and worship me, success. We talk about measuring success on this podcast. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. It's a temptation that I am what I have, that to be somebody, I have to make so much money and I have to live in this type of house. I have to drive this type of clothing or drive this type of car and wear this type of clothing or wear that brand that I am validated by an external outside force mm. outside of Christ. Uh, and that's dangerous because what you do will change. What people think about you, their opinions will definitely change. And the things that you have, God can take away. So it's like, who am I without this stuff? Um, and Jesus rested in three words that defeated those three temptations. It is written. If we can rely on the, the, the truth of the Bible and what God says about us and who we can be in Christ and, and the redemption that we have through his blood, if we can rest on what's written, that's how we defeat the temptation of I'm going to attach success to this, or I'm going to measure my worth by this, the numbers in the bank account, the, um, the accolades, the trophies I have that are collecting dust that nobody cares about anymore. So that's kind of how it's always been for me is like, how do I rest on a sure foundation? That that's good to know. And I don't know if the quarterback you mentioned earlier, I don't know if that's, uh, uh, Johnny <laughs> or another no, one no. because <laughs> he was there. Sorry, I played, I played with Johnny Menzel. Uh, that was my introduction to football. Our defensive bat was going against uh, Johnny Menzel and Mike Evans, who's a future hall of famer, uh, every day in practice. Uh, but no, it wasn't Johnny. It was another quarterback. Yeah. Um, and he's younger, a lot younger. Well, not a lot, but younger than I am. Um, and, yeah. And, yeah. But it, it was just interesting to see that even in that game, we had a kicker who is a, a solid guy, a believer. And thankfully he spoke up after he was interviewed because he kicked a game winning field goal. Hmm. How does it feel? I mean, everyone's lifting you up. You're on top of the world. And he was just like, look, if I miss the game winner next week, none of this actually matters. And he just knew like, I can't attach who I am to what you think about me. Um, hmm. Because what you think about me varies based on my performance. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm sure I've, I want to, I want to, talk just a little bit more about that season of your life, because I, I, I then want to talk about how you redefine or transitioned into business and all beyond that. I am sure that at 18, 19, 20 years old, I think at 50, 60 years old, you know, to succeed at a certain level, by the way, our culture and society define success. Right. And then to, I, I think you mentioned earlier, you said it's very fickle. <laughs> You know, yeah. if you if you ride 
to the top, then you also are going to sink to that <laughs> that Absolutely. bottom there. And I I think the thing I'd like to know is, you know, you're, you're going through that environment, you're playing in front of a hundred thousand. I think it's one of the biggest, you know, even yeah, when I you go to away three game, in the country yeah yeah yeah. but your away games are still in front of a hundred thousand you know you're going to lsu at night which is one of the most oh, gosh, yeah. incredible <laughs> settings scary settings mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, who, if you if you're not wearing purple and gold <laughs> i went to a homecoming game at lsu <laughs> at night and literally i was had i not really known what was going on there i think it was been a place to be scared yeah. <laughs> you know it's like these people are serious here but but I guess the point is how, and, and if it's just a spiritual thing, that's fine. But how did you observe others dealing with that type of energy accolades and all in a positive? And I think you already mentioned that, you know, some negative, and I don't, I don't think I want you to call any names here or people, but just in general, People yeah. can't usually transition from being a superstar to not in general. Mm-hmm. They, they don't do it well. So uh, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, let's, let's talk about that for just a minute as we move yeah, so into this is, Alex, the later years. We'll get to that in just yeah, a second. Yeah, this is one of the things that kind of breaks my heart because I still have guys that I've played with, and not even just at the big level, but there's still some high school uh, superheroes out there that just haven't figured out a way to transition, haven't yeah. figured out a way to um, attach themselves, their identity to something other than a sport. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the transition is not, there's no off ramp. There's no, hey, the the speed gradually decreases. For most of us in sports, whether you have a, a Tom Brady career or you you blow your knee out in college, there is no warning sign of, hey, you're approaching the end. It normally is just you just played your last game, you walked onto the field as a Texas a football player, and you walked off as not. And I, I think that is why, other than attaching yourself to your identity to that, is why it's so hard because it's so abrupt. You have no time to go, okay, well, let's figure out the next steps. And it's just like football player, not. And some of them, you know, you try to do the NFL thing and then you get cut and you're questioning your worth and your value and you're, I'm better than this guy. I don't get it. And I don't understand. And even for, for guys that are my age right now, my teammates are, pl- are playing NFL football. Hmm. So, I played right next to those guys in practice. I started over some of those guys. And and so I think for me, I don't even really watch football anymore other than Texas A&M, but I know what some of my former teammates are struggling with those questions of how is this guy still playing? And I was his upperclassman and I started over him and in their heads, even though they hadn't worked out in three years, they think, I can go play for the Dallas Cowboys right now. And they don't, they don't transition well because everything that they are, everything that people have told them they are, all of the value that people have ascribed to them mm-hmm. has been attached to a sport. Um, and I still have guys that call me today and they're like, man, how'd you do it? 
Like, I'm struggling. <laughs> I had a few guys, uh, you know, I won't call any names, that essentially went into into hiding. Because they didn't know what like, they didn't know what else to do. It's like, what do I do now? Yeah, you know? I mean, they it's you go from your um, and it's so the opinions of other people. You go from your football gear, your you know your athleisure, your athletic clothes on campus being a a symbol, a status symbol of success because everyone on campus knows who the football players are. To when you wear that when you're 25, it's kind of like, uh, do you play? No, I, I used to, and it's not viewed the same way. It's kind of like, oh, uh, you're old and washed up. My wife picks on me sometimes. I think I'm old and washed up now. Um, and how old are you? Tell us how old that is, Alex. I'm, I'm 28. You're 28 old and washed up. Okay. Old and washed up. So, uh, which um, that's, the, that's the other thing. This is kind of a, a use it or lose it. If you, we trained really, really hard. I can't play with those guys anymore. Uh, now, I have a little crazy switch that I can flip and go and hurt myself with those guys. But to do what those guys do week in and week out, it'd take me a year to get back to that level of competition. Um, mm. Yeah. Do you miss it? I don't. Um, I, I, tr I, I tend to transition pretty well. And when I'm done, I'm done. Um, I don't miss everything about it. I do miss being able to hit people and not go to jail. Um, <laughs> I miss the struggle with the team, with a group of people. And, and obviously, you know, in the workforce, you have those similar struggles. But when you have a guy who's um, <laughs> just – throwing up his breakfast next to you and you're fighting physically to stay in and mentally to survive. I haven't found anything similar in the way of like, I probably have to maybe go to like the Marines or something to find that in a professional setting. Um, so I miss that part of it, but just the everyday football. No, I, I don't, I don't miss it. Um, it's hard not to miss Saturdays cause that was pretty fun. But, um, yeah, I missed, I missed the brotherhood. I missed the struggle. I missed the 5 o'clock in the morning workouts. Uh, those are kind of lonely these days. I still do them, but it's not the same. Uh, so mm -hmm. I just miss struggling with a group of guys and having a common goal. Uh, and I, imposing your will on somebody else. <laughs> yeah. The competition. I, I, like, uh, I like some of the things you're doing now with the organizational culture and things like that. And what I, cause I do similar type things with, uh, as executive coach and things. And I, I think what I recognize with companies, teams, organizations, I think they would love to duplicate parts of that experience, mm -hmm. but because there's not a, an easily identifiable common, common enemy, I mean, like, I can guarantee you that y'all did not have to get super motivated when Alabama came into town or you go to LSU or it no. wasn't like. We always said you don't have a pulse if we have to do a pump up speech. Like yeah, this. it's like it's very identifiable. And, you know, you're pretty much with somebody, uh, probably not 24-7, but as close to 24-7 as you can be yeah, for at least, absolutely. what, six 
months out of the year, maybe more. Oh no, we're working out 11, 11 months. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know that we could duplicate that in more of the corporate setting, but as you left that environment, we'll talk about redefining success. Mm-hmm. You had a transition that you went from being in front of 100,000 people on Saturdays, probably being, and there was an award. I saw somewhere you won an award as a senior. Um, was it the captain's award or something like that? I may yeah, I don't so have it in front of me. It was a team captain, Aggie Hart Award, which is like the highest honor an football player mm. can receive. It's voted on by the team. Um, and it talks about all of the core values behind that award. Um, also, my senior year, I won the Distinguished Letterman Award, mm. uh, which is, you know, I guess history <laughs> with the university, I'll always be a distinguished letterman. Um, Bill Irwin scholar. Like I said, a bunch of stuff that's collecting dust. That's re- I don't even have it in my house. It's at my parents' house. Um, and they don't even have it on display. So, <laughs> so let's talk about moving forward then. Uh, you had to step away. You're, you're done. You can't keep doing it. I'm guessing mm-hmm. uh, playing, continue playing football was not, something you pursued did you try to pursue that did you ever give it any thoughts or did you just know that it was time to move on to some other things yeah so my deciding factor was my junior year i was driving home my legs went numb i couldn't feel anything um that scared me to be honest i called the trainer and i said hey i'm, I'm not playing another down of football until i get an mri and an x-ray we did that i had some issues we fixed the issues i'm still dealing with some of those issues um, but essentially a lot of medication, a lot of shots, and, um, it helped me get through my senior year, but it was scary enough to where I figured I wasn't going to play football anymore. Once I would get through mm-hmm. and fulfill my obligation at A&M, uh, had some scouts call after my senior year, really kind of made a name for myself in the special teams world across the country. Um, so I had a chance as a you know free agent to go and, uh, get a spot at some camps. And I told coach, I, I just wasn't going to do it. Um, so for me, it was a health um decision i'm a smaller guy so i was just really would have just done more damage on my body than good i don't think i don't think people realize too the the speed and now the size i mean some of the size of the people and you're coming up on you know you got receivers now that are clocking in at six four six five and uh and then these running backs coming out i mean yeah, the, and my the, position is like it's high speed collisions. Impact. They have yeah. these trackers in our in our shoulder pads of like your speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember Coach Selman did an interview because they had the Adidas commercial come out and they were kind of like clocking the guys with the little speedometer. And he said, uh, "I got a couple guys on my team that would get a speeding ticket in the school zone." And he was legit like I was twenty five miles an hour in, in, in football pads. Um, so you imagine that running down the field and then throwing my body into somebody who's 300 pounds. It's just not a, it's a car crash every single play. So, uh, yeah. I moved on. Well, good, good for you moving on. All right. So let's talk about that transition, that redefining that you did coming out of that. Was it a struggle? Was it a challenge? Did you have a lot of doors open up to you because of the role you had been in? Obviously you have had a degree and all that. So let's talk about that transition and let's bring us up to speed to kind of some things you're doing and working on now. Yeah, absolutely. So it was not a hard transition for me. Uh, and that's mainly because I realized that I did have skills, even though I didn't have maybe the level of internships that other students had. Um, getting up at five o'clock in the morning, essentially working a full time job as a football player, uh, graduated with almost a 3.8 in engineering. Like, so I, I had some things there that were 
working them on a favor and also formed a lot of relationships via football with the donors and boosters of the university. So whenever I graduated, I had my choice of where I wanted to go to work. I went to work for an oil and gas consulting firm, energy consulting firm by the name of Opportune. Uh, did some uh, work for, got staff with a private equity group. So we would go in and essentially convert all of the technology over to the new ownership whenever they would buy the asset. Um, and then a year later, I received a call from a guy I met whenever I was in college. And he had played basketball at AM way back in the days. He's uh, six, he's actually turning 65 tomorrow. And um, he, I was fishing via a, a friend, the director of player development had a friend who had a birthday party for his daughter at this guy's house. He notices the lake. He knows I'm a country boy. And he says, hey, I have a few football players that would like to fish. Do you think that Doug would mind if I brought a few football players out? So I'm on this lake and I'm fishing, and this guy is nowhere to be found at the, at the moment. We're just enjoying our time. And this house does not look like it belongs in this town. I mean, it's just humongous house, nice lake, great pool. And I'm across the lake, and I see this guy walk out of the back door. And he's about seven feet tall. And at that point, I thought I had it. I'm like, oh, he's like a retired NBA player or something. So I paddled across the lake, introduced myself, and just said, hey, I just want to say thank you for allowing us to come fish in your lake. I was the only person that came up to him that night. And that turned into a conversation of about 30 minutes. He gave me his phone number and he told me if you ever need anything to, to reach out. Two weeks later, I reached out and we started to talk real estate. So I did this my last two years in college and he became a friend, a mentor to me. We exchanged books back and forth. And uh, he called me a year into my first job and he says, hey, I don't have any kids. I don't have anyone here to take over for me. Have you ever thought about, you know, or do you still want to start a business? And I said, absolutely. Um, I moved back to Bryan College Station, uh, became a manager at his company. A year later, he was asking me to become the president of the company. And in, uh, in addition to that, I started my own company, buying real estate, and looked up a few years, few, few years later and had purchased 340 units um, and had grown the company developed the culture in the company, uh, 20 plus people working for us, um, hundreds of vendors, a couple thousand residents. Um, so it was an interesting ride. And then, as I said, you know, marry the mission, not the method. God shifted me into something else. And I had to have that conversation with him that I thought would be a hard conversation. It wasn't. He understood it. Uh, it was a normal Saturday. And I felt the spirit saying that it was time for me to, to move on. I just purchased an RV park, which is kind of outside of the scope of things we normally did. We had a lot of apartments and uh, we had some office space, but we branched off into storage and I bought a vacant nursing home, just different things. Mm -hmm. um, and whenever I got that, that push, I called my dad and I said, hey, man, I feel like God's pushing me into something else. And my dad said, yep, I knew that. And I said, well, hold on. When were you going to tell me this? And he said, son, it's not my job to tell you. It's my job to confirm it. I mm -hmm. knew that it was time for me to go and do what I'm doing now, which is helping uh, workplace leaders create culture 
and it's all from a biblical perspective, uh, vision, mission, purpose, core values, brand, team building, and authenticity. Um, but I essentially studied the scriptures, and from the ministry background, the leadership background, was able to combine the two and uh, create a way to systematically teach it to other people. So starting with, you know, what is culture? How is culture created? Why does culture matter? And then going through the building blocks of the how-to and the long-term impact of the culture of an organization, the cultures that we form lead to the results that we experience. So that's kind of how it happened, but um, just a, a series of yes to God. So so, so are you, you're still, when you transitioned away from uh, running the real estate business for the contact that you had, um, you were still running your own real estate too, right? Is that correct? Yes. And we, and he was a partner in that as well. Okay. Um, so I had that company, which was mainly just acquisitions, but I started to branch off into different cities. So that mm. made it a little bit more complicated because we didn't have the staff there. Um, mm. but I'll mention this, this just came to mind about the, the transition. So in conversation with him, I don't know if this is go speaks to my wiring or what, but when I told him it was time for me to go, he agreed but he made me an offer and here was the offer. He said, Alex show up one day a week or one day a month. I don't care. He was basically retired for the first time in his life. And now he's back in it. He says, I, he says, I believe you're that talented. He says, I'll pay you what I'm paying you right now. Keep your business. You don't have to leave. You know, we'll keep your office. Just basically keep the title and I'll pay you exactly what I'm paying you right now and go start your other business. I said, no. And the reason being was it's like, I can't give you half of me. And if I felt confidently that I could still perform at the level he needed me to as a full-time employee, cool, let's do it. But I just felt where God was taking me with the time demand that would have, the travel it would, would, would require, um, I didn't feel like I could commit everything to him and properly steward what he was trying to keep me in charge of. And people were like, are you crazy? And he, and he even he himself, he's like, okay, um, I don't know what else I can offer you. So <laughs> go do it. Uh, but that was very interesting, but yeah, walking in it. What's fascinating about that is a, a few things It it was a, it was one of these sweet offers. that's difficult to say no to. But I, I love that it shows, I don't know if maturity is the right word. We could maybe use that word. That recognizing that we really can't multitask like we think we can. I, I think our most people in our culture, society, I've done it before, probably everybody's tried to, thinks that they can do more than they really can do. So... Um, I mean, that was probably a pretty, pretty big financial decision too, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went from income to no income. Um, uh, even I, I sold the business back to him, the real estate side of it. Um, so when you talk about identity and transition, it's just kind of like people knew me as the real estate guy. I mean, I had made a name for myself in this market. Um, and to see people now and they're like, how's real estate? I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> I sold it. So and those transitions have been easier because I didn't attach who I was 
to the things that I was doing in the moment. Um, but yeah, it's been an interesting journey and I've been really blessed and fortunate to be involved in the things I've been involved in, uh, via God given gifts and also, you know, combining that with, with work. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel very blessed to, to be where I am. So, so you're, you're out of, I guess you sold the real estate. So now your primary focus is working with, with, uh, other companies, organizations, and give me a profile of the type. And I know sometimes this is hard to do cause I can't do it all yeah. the time either. Give me a profile of the type company that you interact with or, or organization or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So it ranges, um, but the, the easiest way to define it is I work with, with those leaders who are in a place where they can make organizational decisions, because that's where you see the change happen. Like I can go in and talk to someone on the ground level and we'll have a great conversation, but when it's really time to impact and affect the whole organization, there's some red tape there. So primarily COOs, CEOs, um, VPs, presidents, those types of people, Mm-hmm. That can go back and say, hey, here's where we're going. This is how we're going to do it. And other people tend to follow. Right. Um, the organizations, as far as, let's say, size, and, and it doesn't, there's no limit to the type of business. But the the ideal size is normally organizations that are large enough to have issues. <laughs> uh, it's great um, for startups to use me because they get to set that foundation. And when they do hire people and do potentially experience the first wrong hire or some potential dysfunction, they know how to handle it. But yeah. unfortunately for those organizations, I'm a vitamin. People forget to take their vitamins. They forget that they know they're important, but it's just kind of like, oh, there's no immediate impact to I didn't take my vitamin. It's a long term deal. So it's more of a foundational. This is how we build upon this, this is how we create culture. Um, that doesn't affect the solo guys and girls as much as it does the people with maybe 10 plus people and they start to go, hold on. I think we just hired wrong. I, I, something's wrong here. I think we have some dysfunction. Um, so normally it's a team of people that have a, you know, enough people to where they go, okay, this is important. Um, and to those people, I'm more of an aspirin. Nobody Mm -hmm. forgets to take, their Tylenol. When your head's hurting, you don't have to say, hey, did you take your your, your pain meds? Like none of us forget that. Um, I wish I could be a vitamin. I wish people would take their vitamins all the time because it's, my job is easier. I lay the foundation. I show you how to do it. And then you get to go have success doing it. Most of the time, it's like people that really recognize the importance of it. And that's kind of more of a keynote type situation. Um, but the kind of workshop, multi-day, multi-year, multi-month type of thing is normally they've reached a point where like, hold on, something's not right. I don't recognize who we are anymore. Uh, we've got some schisms here. Uh, and then that's the point where I, yeah. I had to come in and fix it. So do you work, do you work with people longer term or you just kind of come in, do some ninja stuff and leave or what's, uh, what's your bread and butter? What do you like? Yeah. So Right now, it's more of the the ninja type stuff. Hmm. Um, I I have taken on some longer term projects. But for me, I'm always looking at like, what's best for my customer? Longer term equals more money. So for me, it's like, hey, I I really can give you 80% of what you need in a day or two. 
and, and not saying that you'll this will all be accomplished, but like I'm really going to give you a solid framework, a solid how-to, and then we can follow up every month versus we need to have this consultant in our office every day for you know six months. I've done that type of work. That was what I was doing as a consultant. Yeah. And for me, it's just not the most cost efficient thing for a customer when I feel like I can give them what they need in a short amount of time. So it's fascinating you bring that up because I've probably been doing similar work for going on 30 years now. And when I first started, I was in, I guess, a training environment. I was with Bell South for a few years after I came out of Georgia Tech. And I was with their Leadership Institute. And I kept doing training on great topics. I mean, one day, two day, sometimes a week-long training. And then I would see people... A few weeks later, and they wouldn't even know who I was. They wouldn't remember anything I'd done, and and so I've I my philosophy, and this is obviously something that is different for different organizations and all that. My philosophy is I am much more interested in the process than an event, and so I have moved to where I'm. I work with most people long term. I love what you said because it is very valuable to work with the quote unquote decision makers, C-level. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I need the C-levels because when you start working down in there, you could kind of do a couple things, but you can't really have some impactful change there. So, so it's really cool. I think we're, we're, if not uh, brothers, definitely cousins in some of the things we're doing. Absolutely. What are some of the biggest challenges, hindrances, mistakes that you're seeing now with organizations and leaders that you're out working with? Yeah. So number one is a lack of clarity and communication. So what I mean by that, I'll go back to my time as a president. Founders have an idea in their head. I'll put it this way. I say that vision is often blurred from our heads to our hands, which means that we have this great idea in our heads and it makes complete sense up here but it's like how do we effectively and clearly communicate that to the people in the organization so that we're all working towards the same thing so that we're all on the same mission that we're all seeing how our individual roles play into that long-term vision so along those lines is if you don't do that I see within organizations that you lack buy-in from top down. So it's like, here are the initiatives. And then you start to talk to the staff and they could care less about that. Or they think those initiatives are ill-advised and that's not what they're really about. Um, so those are some of the, the big things that I see. And then the third one I'll say is, and, and this for me, it's the number one, but the third thing I'll mention, hiring the wrong people and losing the right people. Darius Daniel says that you don't go as far as your dream, you go as far as your team. And that always stuck with me because like your team really is kind of make or break. If you get the right people around you, you hire the right people, you coach and groom the right people versus not having the right people within an organization, like it is literally a night and day difference. So that's why I approach culture from a more holistic standpoint of how do we set that big vision? How do we write that mission that influences daily operations? 
How do we discover our purpose and then clearly communicate that to other people? What about our brand? How do we control that narrative on the outside? Um, Our team, the people that we hire, and then also building that culture authentically and not just being counterfeit versions of someone else's Google with a sleeping pod and a foosball table, um, but actually building that strategically and authentically to who we are as an organization. It's interesting you you mentioned it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I'm chuckling. I've done some work with some Silicon Valley-type companies. Not type. I've gone in and out of Silicon Valley some. And I, it is just fascinating to walk in and see people playing. Yeah. I'm. Everyone, everyone wants to be the next, you know, input a name here. And it's like, I heard a quote that says, we all make great originals and poor copies. Ah, uh, yeah, that's exactly so right. It's because- like, how do you do it the way that God called your organization, the way he called you to do it? Um, I'm reminded of David. He's going to fight Goliath. And we know all that. We Most of us know that story that has been around the church for any length of time. It's a very popular passage. But the thing that fascinates me the most is what happened before the battle, which is you have a kid who's been pressured by a king who did not conform to the king's standards. Yeah. And what I mean by that is King Saul places his armor on David after David play it, please let me at him. I want to fight. And they're just like, no, like this dude will eat you up and spit you out. Finally, he says, okay, we'll let you fight David, but not without stipulations. Here's my armor. If you're going to fight this battle, you need to look like a real warrior. And I think that's a lot of times what society tries to do is place their expectations on us and ask us to conform to those things, whether it be the way we measure success or how we run our organizations. It's like, if you're going to be this, this is what it has to look like. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say that culture is taught, not bought. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of gadgets and tricks that are going to influence people in the long term. So, and people are seeing that now. They're trying to draw people back into the office. All yeah. these cool things. And it's just like, why aren't they coming back? <laughs> it's going to take more than a coffee shop. Like people, when you build around genuine connection and those relationships, that's what people will miss. That's what makes me want to go back to the office. I get coffee at my house. So I think that's where we miss it sometimes. It's like, how do you really form a strong culture? And we try to buy out, buy our way into it. And that's just not, can't do it. (laughs) I I love I love a lot of things you said because there's so many things kind of firing around in my head here. Um, earlier, you talked about the challenge with hiring and you talked about clarity communication. And one of the things I've observed is that if people don't know who they are, they can't hire the right people. If they don't have clarity uh, in that, I was just discussing with an executive that I worked with the other day and we were reviewing a hire that we made four months ago that is a home run. The hire before that was someone who was there for four months and we had to let him go. And so as the coach, I was reviewing what did we do well, what did we not do well. And it was unfortunate that we had to admit that we know most of what we did well. Some of it was we just had the right candidate at the right time. And that yeah. unfortunately is strategic. People don't like to hear that, but that, that is roughly what it was. Yeah. Another so cool whenever, thing. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll add to hiring the right people. Um, and this is kind of how I start to tie 
the word of God into how I coach people. Uh, and, and that in itself is strategic for me because I know that that truth won't change. So the next great New York Times bestseller, we see those things come and go all the time. But this thing has stood the test of time. So I know if I base my teaching off of that, I'll be able to teach this in 50 years and it have some value. So when I look at making sure that we hire the right people, I look at Exodus, I believe it's chapter 18. You have this relationship. I call it the bring your dad to work day between Moses and Jethro, his father-in-law. And he's observing Moses at work. And he says, Moses, what you are doing is all wrong. You and the people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. So he basically, he defines a problem. You are going to be worn out. The people are going to be sick and tired of you. This is not the right way to do it. Then he gives a solution, which is, Moses, you need a team. But he didn't just say, go out and find anyone. He gave him specific, strategic instructions on how to hire and form the right team. Here's what he told him. He says, number one, to teach and you know teach him, teach them God's decrees and instructions. But then he gets into what I call the three C's of hiring properly. He says to find capable, God-fearing, and trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. And then he says to appoint them as officials over hundreds uh, or thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Here's what I get from that passage. If you're going to hire the right people, number one, he says to find capable men. The first C is competency. Are they able, do they have the capability of doing the job with excellence? That doesn't mean they know everything about your organization, but do you see those traits? Do you see that ability there? A lot of times in the Christian space, we just want to hire people because they're Christians. No, can they do the job well? I want a, I want a Christian plumber. I want a plumber that's yeah, good. That can fix the leak. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first one is like, do they have the competency to be able to do the job well. Number two is character. He says to find God-fearing, trustworthy men and women who hate dishonest gain. Making sure that people match your core values. You What you don't want is highly competent people that don't match your core values because they can destroy things quicker than a lazy person who knows nothing. And then the last one is capacity. And this is on the leader. Making sure, he says, appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. What does that mean? Not everyone can handle the same level of authority. So making sure that when you onboard people, you place them in the proper position of authority. Not everyone can be the CEO. So if some people are managers, some people are middle managers, some people. So we have to figure out, like, where does this person thrive best? And that's not only best for us as an organization, that's best for that person. That's going to help that person succeed within the organization, putting the right person in the right seat. So three C's. Number one, are they competent? Number two, character. Number three, capacity. Yeah, that that's good. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think I shared with you, I just finished reading Exodus and then Leviticus now. And I actually have read through it a number of times. I don't know if the sequence I read through this time, but I saw a leadership lesson in Exodus that I had not seen before that relates to this. It actually goes back to the clarity that you brought up. I'll just mention it and we're getting close to needing to finish up here. But I observed, you know, Moses went up to the mountaintop and while he was gone, the people 
didn't have anything to do, didn't know what to do. They were waiting. They decided they were going to, you know, <laughs> get all their earrings and all that and start worshiping uh-huh. a false god. Imagine that. That's just yeah, what people what, do when they have a lot of... What people do in their spare time. <laughs> idle time, not anything to do. And obviously, you know, it was a, not a good thing that was going on there. But then if you continue in Exodus... I actually, in this read-through, am going back to my paper Bible, and I highlighted every instruction that God gave. God gave very specific instructions via Moses on how to build the temple, on how to do their sacrifices, on what to do and what not to do. And if you keep reading along, when Moses comes back and delivers that to the people, there's a couple of obviously very skilled craftsmen Mm -hmm. that are part of that, putting the temple together and things like that. You read through it, and this group that was worshiping a golden calf just a few chapters before, it says in the scripture that they did everything that God told them. And there's a lot of detail there. What it spoke to me, this goes back to your clarity that you brought up, Alex, is that the masses, the people, when when left to their own Mm -hmm. devices— They're going to set up an altar and start worshiping something else. But when we give them specific and detailed instructions, and sometimes I don't do as well as I should, just I feel like people can lead on their own. Sometimes they can. But uh, so I I love the things you've talked about because, number one, you use a lot of C words. I like alliteration. But but I, I agree with these formulas. There's one more word that you use that I want you to talk about. Because it's part of how I define leadership. You use the word steward. Mm, yes. And, and to me, the way I, and we even did it, I'm going to say it here so our people taking notes can reference it. In season three of Seek Go Create, back in late 2019, we did a series, uh, a season on the ultimate leader. And we define leadership as a leader is a steward, caretaker, mm-hmm. trustee over those people, places, and or things that God has gifted them with. Talk a little bit about stewardship as we finish up here in the next few minutes. Yeah, so stewardship. uh, Two passages stick out to me when I think about stewardship. Number one, you go back to the beginning, and God places Adam in charge of something. And this is kind of where culture begins. Cultivate it. Care for it. Take care of it. So stewardship is a God-given responsibility for us to manage the things that we're placed in charge of. We are stewards of everything, owners of nothing. The second thing that point that sticks out to me, we'll flip over to New Testament, Matthew 25. When we, you know, a well-known parable, the parable of the talents is, is most, the most common name for it. But what I see is the master entrusts his goods to stewards. And he gave them all something. Different levels of of monetary values worth of weight, talents. But he also gave them something else. Opportunity and time. And what's implied is that he's going to come back and take an account of what did you do with what I gave you? I think we'll all have to answer that question one day. What did you do with what I gave you, whether it's his son in the gospel, what did you do with what I gave you? Whether it's the gifts, talents, and abilities that you have, what did you do with what I gave you? 
So for me, I look at everything in my life as an opportunity to be a steward. We're expecting our first child. As a father, I know that I have a season in this child's life to make an impact, that this child will not stay a child. And my impact as a father will be measured by what did you do, what I gave you, the time that you had, what did you invest into that person? What lessons did you teach them? And then ultimately it'll be measured by the life that that person goes on to live. But for me, it's like, absolutely stewards of everything, owners of nothing. And we will be measured by what we did, what we were given. The, the reason I love that, because I put a lot of thought into this too, and seen this, I think that leadership leaders, people that head organizations begin getting off track when they start thinking of themselves as an owner mm -hmm. and losing sight of being a steward. It goes in a lot of different directions from that because the steward's primary role is to return it Absolutely. better uh -huh. than it was when they received it. Yeah. And that means people, that means your child, you have a child that you've got a few years and then, and you know, we could argue you don't own your kid. Some, nope. some parents think so. <laughs> No, but it's a season. I mean, it's, you're just preparing. Absolutely. You're preparing him for what comes up, him or her for what absolutely comes up. So that's very good. So how um, one quick thing, it may not be a quick answer, but many people hear conversations like this. And they're intrigued by how one is able to weave in business mm -hmm. technique tactics, strategy, faith, scripture, the Bible, yeah. all, all in one. Uh, how, I know how I respond to that because I can't separate them out, but nope. when someone says, how do you do that? What's your response or what would you, maybe, maybe they're trying to do it themselves. What's something yeah. you can encourage them maybe? Yeah. So that's one of my things for leaders. It's like, how do we go from Sunday morning inspiration to Monday morning implementation? Because that's where we see transformation in lives. So it clicked for me whenever, really, when I was a young leader, like, okay, writing a vision statement. And I was sitting there one day and I'm like, man, I've used the Bible for everything else in my life. Why am I going to sit on the sidelines in the business world? And I read a lot of books, a lot of business books. And here's what I'll tell you. I prefer to quote it and give credit and honor where credit and honor is due. Because whether they will admit it or not, your favorite business coach is taking from the Bible. Name any of them. I'm talking of agnostic, atheist, but it does not matter. They will and have quoted the Bible at some point, whether they do it or not. You know, we want to treat people the way we want to be treated. Well, that's in there too. We want to, you know, think those, all that stuff, it, it's in there. Um, and people are always surprised whenever I take the things that they know from the secular world. And I go, oh yeah, that's actually Matthew chapter six, verse 31. And they're like, huh? I'm like, yeah, your business coach got that from the Bible. <laughs> so for me, the Bible is a living, moving, breathing document. Um, that that you know that that is alive so it's not just an ancient text that uh, had good good advice for way back when um 
It applies to what we're doing right now. It applies to how we raise our children. It applies to how we are in relationship with people. Um, yeah, God is a, a, a very strategic, uh, structural, and it's just so intricate in how the you can read it one time and then go back and read it a second time and get just so much more depth and truth and application out of it. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know a way not to. <laughs> I, I can't separate them out. I mean, I was even saved in a business setting. So I'm like going, it, uh, all this fits together. And it's interesting. I, similar to you, I've, I read a ton of stuff, read a lot of business books, leadership books. I'm actually getting to this very interesting place where it's starting to repeat itself and Absolutely. I'm going back to study the scriptures more and more. I'm, I'm not against, uh, someone might say, well, gosh, Tim, you just wrote a novel and all that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not against books. However, like you said, Alex, yeah. the foundation, I think, is still that biblical text yeah. And the sources. (laughs) And let's go, let's go back to the source here. Hey, Alex, uh, if someone wants to connect with you either for business or work, or just, you know, they want, they want to get together with you because they loved what all you had to say and all that, where do you want people to go? And, and you know, what type people do you want to reach out to you? Yeah. So, you know, in particular Christian business leaders, um, but you don't, you know, have to be a Christian to, to work with me, but um, I am who I am. So if you're okay with that, <laughs> let's rock and roll. Um, but yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn, on Instagram, uh, at Alex Caesar and Caesar is spelled S E Z E R. Um, and then also Alex Caesar.com, Alex Caesar.com as well as Alex at Alex Caesar.com. If you want to send me an email, uh, and then on my website, you'll find all of the coaching programs and things like that are digital. And then also ways to, to work with me in person. So, um, man, I, I thank you so much for Tim, Tim for having me. And uh, I pray that this is a, a blessing to someone who listens to it. Um, so thank you so much. Yeah, very cool. We'll include all the links and everything down in the notes. Alex, we're seek, go, create. I know that you know the root of some of those words where they yeah. originated. But I'm going to let you have one of them over the other two right now as we finish up and what word are you going to pick and why? Yes. I'm going to be selfish here. (laughs) Uh, The word is go for me. And that's just because that's the season of life that I'm in. Um, Whenever I got the call to go and do what I'm doing now, I was referred to Abraham and God told him, go to a land. I will show you not one that he'd shown him, but one that he would show him. Uh, So for me, I'm going and God is revealing more and more details to me. Um, so that's what I'm walking in. And, and I'm just excited about what God is doing, what he's going to do. And I'm trusting him and walking in faith with the go. Um, so the other two words are great. And I could talk about those as well, but I'm just in a go season right now. I'm in a creating season as well. But that word go, when God told me to go, it was just kind of like, whoa, kind of like the GPS, you know, continue straight for 100 miles. It shuts up, doesn't say anything until you get close to a shift and a, a point of inflection, so to speak. And they'll say, hey, in, in two miles, your exit will be on the right. Um, so I'm just walking in faith and going where God tells me to go. Awesome. Alex, so enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for joining us here at Seek, Go, Create. If you've listened in and you've been encouraged, uplifted, stretched, something we said made you uncomfortable, either way, 
I'm going to ask that you share this with other people. The best way that people get exposed to new podcast episodes and shows is for somebody personal to invite them. Either shoot a text of the screenshot of the of the player you're listening on or something like that. If you're on one of our socials, definitely do that. You may be listening in on YouTube. Share this with someone. I encourage you to connect with Alex in the places that he said. And... Stay connected here because we're coming up on that 200th episode that we talked about at the beginning. I appreciate you joining us here at Seek Go Create. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.